Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10. We're still in our Living Called Out series that we started months ago. Uh, before we began our, our Advent uh, messages, well, our Thanksgiving messages, then our Advent messages, it, it's been, I guess, last Sunday in October was the last time I, I preached uh, that, that Living Called Out, from that Living Called Out series. Uh, we looked through Matthew, and we were looking at Jesus' church. And that's kind of where we left it at the end of Matthew. We're going to jump to John now, and we're going to continue to talk about Jesus' church and what Jesus' church looks like. John gives us two particular, uh, particularly vivid metaphors for the church, the flock and the vine. We're going to look at both of those. John 10, uh, he talks about the flock John 15, he talks about the vine. Then we're going to look at John 17, which is often called the Lord's Prayer. We, we kind of mix that up in our heads sometimes. The model prayer in, in Luke, Lord, te- Lord teach us how to pray, the model prayer. And then the Lord's Prayer, we, we use that for both of them sometimes. It's often called the high, Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's John 17. And he prays uh, for himself, he prays for his disciples, then he prays for the church. We're going to look at all three of those chapters over the next, uh, really, three months, right up to Easter. Now we're going to look through those chapters. This morning, we are looking at, we're beginning uh, about a four or five week study of the flock. What that metaphor means for us, what it means to us. Well, one of the things that it means to us, or we should immediately get, is that sheep are dumb. Uh, I don't know if I have anybody in here that's ever worked with sheep. Anybody here ever? I know my daddy did growing up, 4-H stuff. He, he would raise sheep. They're dumb. I mean, you, there's a picture. You, you just look at them. thousand words, right? In their brains, it's probably only a couple of words. It just they, they are just not smart creatures. Um, Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he examined this metaphor in great detail. He was looking at the 23rd Psalm, obviously, but examining this metaphor of the the people of God, the called-out people of God as the church, and and that's basically what the conclusion was. I mean, sheep are dumb. Uh, They they can be cast. That's a, 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 or cast down. That's, That's a phrase that shepherds use. Got a picture of that. What happens is the sheep lays down, maybe to nap, maybe finds a comfortable depression in the ground, but if, if they get too far over on their side, the center, center of gravity shifts, and they get on their back, and they can't do anything. They, they, they are, it's like a turtle. They cannot turn back over. They have to be turned over. That's called uh, being cast, and it doesn't matter. They don't, they don't have to be sick. They, don't, they can be the strongest, the, the, the healthiest sheep, and they can end up in a hole and get cast. Um, not smart creatures. Uh, they, will, they will starve with food nearby, sheep will. Sheep are such creatures of habit that they will take, if they have learned that the meadow we eat from is over there, and we live over there, they've learned to walk from home to the restaurant, and back. And if the restaurant's out of food, if they have 
degraded the, uh, uh, the meadow in such a way that there's no grass, they will completely ignore the grass that they're walking past. I'm going the wrong way from how I was saying it, wasn't I? They, they will ignore the grass that they're walking past, get to the meadow, and can actually starve if there's no food when they get there. Walking past, the, Philip Keller said they are wholly uncreative in the way that they, they find food. Um, they, they wander aimlessly, sheep do. I mean, look, look, as we look not necessarily at these passages, but other uh, parables that Jesus told, other times that uh, sheep are talked about, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Because sheep just wander. They, they, they glazed over, they, they just mill about, and, and they have actually been known to, to walk into a fire because they're just not paying attention, because they're not real bright. Um, they are both timid and stubborn, sheep are. They can be frightened by the, the smallest, most insignificant thing. You'd think, how in the world did that scare it? And then at other times, they are absolutely immovable. You, you, cannot, you cannot get them to, nothing, nothing shakes them, nothing moves them, because they're not there. They're just, they're, they are, they're, they're not bright. They're absolutely defenseless. They have no, you know, you see a few sheep with horns, but for the most part, they have no defenses. They're, they're not particularly fast. They're not particularly graceful. They're, they, they are just sheep. One uh, a professor of philosophy at Bethel College, Dr. Bob Smith, said that sheep are proof that evolution is a lie because there is no way sheep would have survived if it depended on evolution. Survival of the fittest would have wiped them out a long time ago because they're just not, uh, just not wonderful creatures. And Jesus says, not just Jesus, but all throughout the Old Testament, y'all are my sheep. Thanks, God. Well, what's he saying? Well, we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at how he puts it, how Jesus puts it in John 10. John 10, 1 through 6, says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Let's, let's briefly, who's the they? Well, we might think it's the disciples, but in fact, it, he's not talking to the disciples here. If you back up to... Uh, chapter 9, verse 41, verse 40, he's talking to Pharisees. Pharisees who had just recently kicked a man out of the synagogue because he had had his uh, sight restored by Jesus and he was believing who Jesus was. So he was kicked out of the synagogue. I paraphrase that story greatly, but that's uh, the gist of it. And they're asking Jesus these questions. Uh, you know, he, he's tells them a story, he calls them blind, and Jesus says, I mean, they say, were we blind too, Jesus, the Pharisees say, and, and Jesus doesn't do what I would have done, and said, mm, yeah, he, uh, he, he gives them another little uh, 
little piece of, of uh, illustration there in verse 41. And then he goes into this stuff about the sheep, about how they uh, have particular leaders, shepherds, and how sheep know their true shepherd and, and, they, and they are uh, concerned with, they, they both ignore but should avoid thieves and robbers. This passage is all about leadership. It's about the sheep too, but it's, it's primarily about who the sheep follow. Throughout the Bible, as I said, the, the called out people are called sheep, and God is called the shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, that happens. So, so on the one hand, we would say, well, God's not being very nice to us in calling us sheep because sheep are dumb. But on the other hand, we have to look at it from uh, another perspective. Shepherds were considered one of the lowliest jobs of the day. You were, you were considered vulgar, lower class. You, you, nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Everybody wanted the wool to make clothes. But nobody wanted to be the shepherd, really. So if you were a shepherd, that was considered a pretty low-class job. And then God says, not only are you the sheep, but I am your shepherd. So if we understand that God himself was calling himself what the world considered low class, a low-class position, then I think that tweaks, should tweak our understanding of, of being called sheep. It seems like it's not the best descriptor for either, and yet that's what God does. And if, if we take that further, where we get to the New Testament, and Jesus calls himself the great shepherd, and we see that he then is now taking the title that God had for himself, taking it on himself, and we see that Jesus was meek and lowly, and he describes himself later as a lamb led to slaughter, and all these other things, we, we see well, it just kind of makes sense, right? That, that Jesus would describe himself as this put-down, uh, unliked, unwanted almost profession. Because that's, that's what Jesus was. Uh, he was unliked, he was unwanted. Nobody understood their own need for him. So throughout the Bible, he's called that. In the New Testament, we've got the great shepherd. And then John 10, 1 through 6 shows the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. There's also this metaphor throughout the uh, New Testament of, of the, the pastor being a shepherd. Now, no, Michael is not about to compare himself to Jesus, but Paul clearly calls pastors under shepherds. So as we read this passage, we're going to see that not only is there this direct application, this obvious application of the flock, the church, of God and their relationship to Jesus, but there's also this application of the church, the flock, and the relationship to the pastor, to the under-shepherd, to the leadership of the church. And I'm going to talk about, as we move through what I have is our four points, we're going to talk about how those apply to church leadership. Not just me when I'm talking about church leadership, not just ministerial staff, but to anyone who calls themselves expects to be, acts in a position of leadership in a church. Because the implication is for anyone who would come in and lead a body of believers. And we're going to see that as we move through. First thing we see, first point we see in this passage, is we see the, uh, the authority of the shepherd in verses 1 through 2. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep, uh, enter the sheep pen by the door, 
but climbs in some other way, is a thief and, the ro- and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There are those, church, who desire to hurt the sheep. There are those who want to come in our doors for no other purpose than to sow discord, to bring sheep out of the flock, to, to hurt, to cause pain, to, to confuse, to distract. That is their sole purpose. And we, we say, well, surely not, Michael. Yes, and some of them are on TV. Some of them have huge churches. And I believe that they are false shepherds who are leading people astray. Jesus uses two terms here, thief, these who come in by any other way than the gate. He calls them thieves or robbers. Thieves carries with it this idea of secrecy. You know, a thief sneaks in, a cat burglar, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, they, they, they slip in, they, they, they crack the safe, you, you come home and the safe's open. All y'all who have safes, I personally don't have one. Uh, you know, they crack the safe, it's empty, and, and there's no other evidence that they've been there because they, they, they work that way. Robber carries with it this, this violence, this idea of violence. We, we might think of the Good Samaritan, uh, the, uh, the, the Jewish man on the road to Jericho who was attacked by robbers. You know, that we, we carry, it carries that idea of violence with it. That's what's G, what Jesus is talking about. There will be people who intentionally come in to our flock, and that could be our local body of believers or the church universal. They will wiggle, worm, steal, sneak their way in, and their sole purpose is to be a thief or a robber. Now, Jesus is clearly, in this passage, talking about the Pharisees, telling them, you you are these people. You've come in by the wrong way. You've come in, you snuck in, and you are doing things to lead people astray, lead people in directions they should not go. The shepherd, on the other hand, who, who is led in by the gatekeeper, is known. He is known to his people, and he's free to lead. One of the things is I, I worked through this passage this week and looked at some of the others. Uh, what we tend to want to do is we want to take every piece of a parable that Jesus uses, or in this case, it's not really a parable. He calls it a figure of speech. Take every piece and, and every word we, we say must be applicable to something. There's a one-to-one correlation in the metaphor. I, I don't think that's the case, maybe ever, but certainly not here. There's, there, there, we can't say that the walls of the pen or the walls of the church and the, the, the briars or the security system, you know, that, that we're, we're going way too far with that. So we want to be careful as we do it. So the gatekeeper, we might wonder who the gatekeeper is. We're not going to spend time on that because he was talking to a people who understood what he was talking about. Oh, sure, there's only, there's only one person or a few people that can get in to the sheepfold. That's because they have the authority to do so. And when that shepherd gets in there, he is known. And he is free to lead. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, what would our application be here for church leadership? Church leadership, if you are in a position of authority, church leadership, don't come in by the back way. Don't slip in over the back wall. 
Be bold. Be up front. No duplicity among church leadership. No backroom deals and shenanigans among church leadership. Those who come in in that way are not a part of the flock. The leaders come in through the front gates. The leaders are clear. The leaders are bold. The leaders aren't always right. I, you know, we're not saying that leadership is Jesus, but we are saying the leadership of our church must be honest and not duplicitous. I think we can make that application here as we move through the passage. The second thing that we see about the shepherd is uh, in verse 3. The doorkeeper opens the gate for him, opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see there's an immediate recognition. When the shepherd comes in, there's a familiarity. They know the shepherd. Why? His voice. They know him by his voice. They hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. I, I'm, I'm, I understand that in, uh, especially in biblical times, now when we think of shepherding, we think of a dog, right? Or a pig, if we remember the movie Babe. Uh, I may have just spoken uh, you know, outside of someone's generation there. Go look it up. Uh, we think of the dog. We think of the shepherd being out there somewhere, probably behind, really, and the dog's keeping the herd going the way it wants to. That is not the way shepherds worked in biblical times. Shepherds in biblical times were out front. And actually what they would do is they would walk along, most of them, and they would sing. And they'd probably just sing a, sing, a, a simple phrase. I don't know what the phrase was. Maybe, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And the sheep knew that song. And they would follow their shepherd because they knew his voice. Now, someone else could go into that same sheepfold, and often this is how it happened in a city. They would have this large sheepfold, and there would be multiple flocks in that fold. Three, four, five, six, hundreds of sheep. And a shepherd would go in and among these hundreds of sheep, and maybe there's 500 of them, only 100 are his. And he would move into that flock, and you'd get that picture of, of the sheep. And that shepherd would sing, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And those hundred sheep would follow him. The 400 would stay. But that's not their song. Then somebody else would come along and sing, Itsy bitsy spider. You can, you can see I sing to toddlers all the time, okay? Uh, itsy bitsy spider. Itsy bitsy spider. And his hundred would follow him, leaving 300. See, the sheep knew the voice. Why? Because they listened to the radio? That was their favorite song? No, because they spent time with the shepherd. They knew the shepherd's voice because the shepherd talked to them. The shepherd had intimate knowledge of his sheep. He had been with them constantly. Shepherds never left the sheep. If they weren't in a city fold like that, if they were out in the hills, if they were out in the pasture, uh, most of the time, if a shepherd was lucky, he was in a place where he could find a, a, a depression back into a hill, a, a little valley kind of thing, or a, I'm sure there's a, a, a fancy word for it, but just a little cutout. And, and, and it would be big enough for his sheep, and he'd get them all in there, and then he might have to build a small wall to, to block that off, but the gate probably wasn't even a gate. He was the gate. 
Jesus is going to say that here in just a little bit. We're, we're going to get to that in a few Sundays. We're not going to get there today. But he would be the gate. He would lay down in front of that, uh, that, that hole in the brick, hole in the rocks, and the sheep wouldn't pass it. And he spent all of his time with the sheep. Actually, he, the, the, the shepherd was known to name many of his sheep. Maybe not all of them, maybe not all 100 of them, but there were certain ones whose characteristics he recognized immediately. You could just, oh, that's, that's blackface, and that's, that's uh, three leg. Maybe three legs were one color, and one leg was another, so that's three leg. That's, that's, uh, that's so-and-so. How, how many of us want Jesus to call us by our most common characteristic? That's, that's happy. That's, that's peaceful. That's, that's, that's considerate. Or that's grouchy. That's lustful. That, I, I, my name's Michael. Let's, let's, not, let's not get into characteristics, please, Jesus, if you don't mind. Um, I'd rather not have that be my name. But that's how intimately the shepherd knew the sheep. That is how intimately our shepherd knows us. He goes into the fold, he calls them out, and he cares for the entire flock. The way this passage reads, it's the, the, the flock that's in this fold. Now, I've told you of five shepherds going in to pull out their hundred sheep each out of a 500. What, what it looks like here is that Jesus actually goes into the fold and calls them all. They all follow him. Another reason we, we see that where he is talking about the leadership, this is, this is less about the sheep, though we can't get away from it. It's less about the sheep and more about the leadership. See, Jesus cared for the entire flock. He knew them by name. He had spent so much time with them that they knew the song he sang. They knew his voice when they heard it. Why? Because he cared for them. Church leadership, build trust. Interesting, I was, I was reading uh, this week about this passage, and, and there was a, a, a commentator uh, named Gary Bird, a uh, professor at Wheaton College, that, that said, this is an uncomfortable, this is what he said in his commentary, this is an uncomfortable way to preach this. Why? Because I've got to stand up here and tell you that sh- church leadership needs to build trust. I've got to stand up here and tell you that church leadership has to be bold and up front and outside of, and not duplicitous, no backroom deals. I have to tell you basically what the Bible is telling me. So you get to hear me tell me what I'm supposed to be doing and then get to there and sit there and say, oh, he ain't doing that. And you know what? I know that. Trust me, I, while I'm certain there are those of you who will let me know, you didn't have to. I got it this week, trust me. But familiarity with the shepherd church leadership we have to build trust i have to build trust i'm new i'm a new shepherd under shepherd that's what the bible calls me you do realize pastor means shepherd always wondered why uh hispanic churches spanish-speaking churches would name their church good pastor like wow that's really nice of them to, to to you know to honor their pastor in such a way mainly because i'm a sheep i'm dumb Buen pastor means good shepherd. So buen pastor, Iglesia Bautista buen pastor means good shepherd Baptist church, not good preacher Baptist church, like, like I wanted it to mean. Pastor is shepherd. 
and it is my responsibility to build, build trust. But church leadership, remember, this isn't just about me. This is about all of us who put ourselves in positions of leadership or for leaders who are put in positions of leadership. Maybe you didn't vote for yourself, but you're there anyway. We all must build trust. We all must build trust among the flock. That takes time. It also takes effort. And yeah, I'm preaching to me too. Church, uh, familiarity with the shepherd. Third thing we see is we see in verse 4 the leadership of the shepherd. When he has brought out, when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. Now, as I told you, we think of the sheepdog and the shepherd behind. As a matter of fact, uh, we were in Spain a few years ago, and uh, we, we were driving through to uh, visit a, a, an unreached, unengaged people group that our church was going to embrace. And, and we were driving from Madrid to uh, almost Portugal. Um, and so, you know, we drove through Spain. Like that was beautiful country. And, and every time there was a road I could turn down to go see another castle, I did. We got down one road, and I found a back road and came out. And in the midst of the road was a gentleman. Lots of, lots of uh, shepherding goes on in western Spain. There was a gentleman driving his sheep. Now, he didn't have a dog. I was a little disappointed with that. But he was driving his sheep down the road. I had to pull off on the side of the road. I'm certain they knew where they were going. Remember, they're creatures of habit. So every day, he had probably opened that gate. I'm thinking, dude, your sheep are in the road. You know, you've opened the gate. They're gone. They are going to scatter. Nope. They just marched down the road. They got to the gate they were supposed to go in. They turned right in. We got to see it, but he was driving them. Even then, he was driving them right behind them. But if I remember correctly, Edda, we rolled down the, w the window, and he was whistling. He was, he was calling to them. They knew his voice even from behind. They knew what they were supposed to do. Jesus doesn't get behind. General Lee, uh, Robert E. Lee, during the Civil War, was often told uh, by his men, particularly in uh, the Battle of uh, Gettysburg, Lee to the rear, Lee to the rear, Lee to the rear, because Lee was known to get out in front of his soldiers, and they would do anything. They would put themselves in harm's way unnecessarily to protect their leader. Why? Because he was a leader. He was going to be out in front. Look at what Jesus does. The shepherd leads them. He goes ahead of them. He's out front. Jesus is out front of us defending. He is protecting. But what we see here is that the, the, the direction is not set by the sheep. We follow Jesus. Jesus sets our direction. Uh, this week at, at Passion Conference, uh, we had some college students spend the night with us Thursday or Wednesday night as they traveled back to Austin from Passion. Uh, at the Passion Conference, Beth Moore was teaching, and she... Uh, I'll paraphrase because I don't have it called up on my phone at the moment. She was responding to people who say we should kick out the, the, or, or ignore the direct application of Scripture that homosexuality is a sin in order to love people who struggle with that sin. And Beth Moore says, I paraphrase, so we would kick out the Bible to be more like Jesus. That does not make sense. So we would kick out truth for love. 
that, that doesn't make sense. That is people wanting to set the agenda. That is people wanting to set the direction and say, this is no longer sin because we're not comfortable with it. Jesus sets up what we do. Jesus sets up what we believe. God's word is set. This is not negotiable. So we don't get to say, yes, Jesus, I like that you said that, but we're just not going to do it. We do, but that's not our prerogative. The direction is set by the sheep. And by experience, look at the end of verse 4. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. By experience, the sheep are relaxed under the shepherd's care. The, the sheep uh, trust the direction that Jesus has set. Again, I'm not going to set myself up as Jesus. But I will tell you that as the pastor called to this church, I make the commitment to you that everything I do, I am doing as best as I know how to follow Jesus. My prayer is that every leader we have, ministerial staff, deacons, committee members, Sunday school teachers, every one of those leaders is doing that same thing. That's the hope. That's the prayer. And so when we come to a decision time, then that's how we need to approach those decision times. Am I going to follow the leadership of the shepherd, church leadership application, says we must be prepared to follow, even through difficulty. Even when it's hard. Even when it's ugly. Even when it's not understood well. If you have understood, and I'm just talking about your personal life, if you have understood and been comfortable with every decision Jesus has led you to make, you're doing it wrong. He has not led those decisions. I mean, maybe you are just so super spiritual that you're just okay with whatever Jesus says and you do it, no questions asked. Please come talk to me and tell me how to do that because that ain't me. But if you've had no discussion with Jesus, if you've had no issue with really, is this what you want me to do with my life, then I'm, 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 I dare say you're not listening. Because Jesus is clear that we're going to be persecuted for our faith. I've talked about this before. If we're not being persecuted, what are we doing? We're not working very hard. We have to be willing to follow the leadership, even through difficulty. When Jesus takes us through dry and barren lands, even though, David said, not if and maybe, but even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death. I have the great shepherd. I don't have to worry about it. I have the one I'm following. It does not matter. He will take us through hard times. He will take us through difficulty. And we, as church leadership, must be willing to follow Jesus. And the church must be willing to follow Jesus as he follows or she follows Jesus. church must be willing to follow the church leadership as he or she follows Jesus. There we go. That is the commitment we make. That's the commitment you make as a church every time you call a minister. Whether it's pastor, associate staff, you're saying, God has placed this person in this position, therefore we will follow him. I'm afraid sometimes we say, God has placed this person in leadership, and therefore We'll follow him until he doesn't do something I like. 
or until he does something I don't like. Now, if you've got a minister who's sinning, we got issues. But if we are following Jesus, then we need to follow, follow the leadership. That's where we need to go. Fourth thing, the leadership of the shepherd. Finally, in verse 5, we have the exclusivity of the shepherd. Jesus said they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. There is only one shepherd for the flock. There is only one shepherd for the church, and that's Jesus Christ. I will never and I will defy any staff member, any committee member, any deacon, anybody else to ever put them, themselves in the place of Jesus. It will not happen. It will not be done. There is only one shepherd for our flock, and that is Jesus Christ. And he has set it up in his word how things should go. False shepherds have got to be avoided. They have to be put out. If they're not following Jesus, they are not our shepherd. They're not somebody to be followed. If I am not following Jesus, you should not follow me. The Bible's clear. You test the spirits. You test what preachers are saying. And if I start to preach heresy, you need to call me on it. If I say something and you think, Michael, I don't think that's exactly what you meant, that might exactly be the case. I might not have meant what I said. I might have gotten so wrapped up in the talking that I didn't pay attention to the words and what I said, you're just going, that cannot be what he meant. And you may, I hope, you're exactly right that I did not mean that. But if I am preaching truth, why wouldn't you follow me? If deacons are praying, are following Jesus, are more interested in their spiritual lives than their job as a deacon, why wouldn't you follow him? If staff is focused on being all they can for Jesus, why wouldn't you follow him? And y'all, this isn't just for First Baptist Sulphur. This is every church. This is every time you get more than one people in a room. Yeah, more than one people. I said it the way I intended to. Don't call me on that one. If you get two people, you got two different directions. Three people, you have three different directions. Four people, you have five different directions. 200 people, I'm not even going to try to figure out how many directions that's going to be. There is an exclusive leader of the church, of the flock. And if we are not following Jesus, then don't follow the leaders. But if the leaders are, follow the leaders. The flock must spend time with the shepherd, though. Here's the thing. The flock cannot sit and do nothing, spend no time of growth themselves, come to church on Sunday or a business meeting on Sunday night and try to make decisions for the church or fight decisions made by the leadership, and they have spent no time with Jesus in the meantime. We're, we're, it's just, that's just not going to work. The flock must spend time with the shepherd because you have to know his voice too. It's not my job to only hear from Jesus. I'm not your priest. That, that's the priest's job. The Pope hears from God and tells everybody what to do. I don't do that. That is not my job. I do hear from Jesus. I do preach his word. But you are commanded. You don't even have the option. You're commanded to test everything I say. How can you test that if you're not spending time in this on your own? 
I mean, we can test it by whether we like it or not, but that is not the, 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 the test that's necessary in Scripture. I've told you before, there, there's a lot in here I don't like, specifically the fact that I'm not going to be married when I get to heaven. I don't like that passage. Today's our 17th anniversary, uh, and I'm spending it with y'all. That's right, that's right. No, I'm not, it, it, I, I, 17 years today, that's a big deal, I understand it, but you know, I, I'm planning on 60 more. I'll be 100 and one. She'll be 100 or something. I just gave away your age, sorry, honey. Yeah, we, we, we spend time together. We know each other. We, we, we love each other. And I had a great point, but I completely forgot it doing the math in my head. I mean, just lost it like that. You want more evidence I'm not Jesus? There you go. I'm sure there was a reason I brought up our anniversary, but I don't know what it was. But we've got to spend time. Here's why. And I said this this morning up in the uh, sound booth, and uh, somebody asked me if I was running for office. No. But I, I made the statement that the buck stops with me. The, the, the interesting dynamic in a church is, if something goes well, it's whoever did it. Right? If there's a ministry that goes well, it's the leader of that ministry. If it doesn't go well, pastor, what were you doing? If, it, if it's great, good job so-and-so. If, it, if it's not, why don't you let that happen, preacher? That's just the way it is. I'm okay with that. I signed up for this. More importantly, I was called for this. I, I, this is what God told me to do. I don't have an option. But leadership, church leadership, y'all, me, the responsibility for the sheep fall on us. This is not a brag. This is a warning. If you're going to step forward in church leadership, if you're going to say, this is what we as a church should be doing, and therefore I'm going to fight anything that doesn't look like that, that those are the things we should be about, nothing else. If you're going to step up and lead, be ready for the responsibility. Because the Bible says that pastors, teachers, will be held to a higher standard. Now, if you're going to take the, the blame, then step up. But what happens? If it goes well, it's the ones who did it. If it goes poorly, it's the pastor. The responsibility for the sheep, right here, right now, your spiritual life, your spiritual growth. You know who's responsible for that? To make sure that it goes well, to make sure that you have the opportunities to be discipled, to make sure that you are being discipled. You know who's held accountable when he dies, when he stands before God. You know who's going to be talked to about it? Me. Now, you're going to be held responsible too. Don't, not, just don't think, well, whew, I do whatever I want to and Michael gets in trouble. No, it's not the way it works. But I will be held to a standard. Church leadership, ministers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, committee members, leadership, 
you're going to be held to a standard too. And if you want that responsibility, have mercy. Step up and take it. There'll be plenty of people that will let you have it. Trust me. But if you want to, I don't know, go back to the first one, the, the, uh, uh, you want the authority, then, then be bold and upfront about it. Don't do, don't do stuff in the back. Don't whisper in the foyer. Stand up and lead. Take the lumps. I get to. But y'all, I wouldn't have it any other way. Lest you hear this message and you hear some, oh, Michael doesn't like what he's doing. Michael's... No, 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 no. This is, this is the responsibility I was called to. This is what God made me for. Lumps and all. This is, what, this is why he's put me in the position. You, you called seven people and said, go find us the man God wants to be our pastor. And they found me. But I'm who God put here. And I'm happy to be here. I'm joyful to be here. I'm glad God put me here. But I have a responsibility. But y'all have a responsibility too. So I am excited to be a part of the flock. Because that's the thing about the under-shepherd. And, and Jesus mixes his metaphors, but it's okay. He's Jesus. He can do that. We're going to see that even more as we move forward. He's going to be the shepherd. He's going to be the gate. He's going to be a, other things. And, and, it's, it, it, and we're going we're gonna to work through all that. But I'm part of the sheep, too. See, I'm just a part of the flock. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I might be the, the, the one with the loudest mouth or, or whatever it is that... that whatever reason God put me in the role of pastor, but I'm just a part of the flock too. I am learning to follow Jesus. I'm learning to trust the authority of the shepherd in my life. I'm learning to increase my familiarity with the shepherd so when I hear his voice, I respond because I don't always. I hear his voice and I ignore it or I don't hear his voice when I should have because I wasn't listening. I have to constantly work on my followership of the leadership of the shepherd. He's out in front of me, and so often I'm, I'm the dumb sheep. I'm wandering around just, you know, wandering into a fire, laying down, getting my feet up in the air, and, and not being able to turn back over because I've just put myself in such an idiotic position. And I also have to understand that I answer to one. See, I, it's going to be kind of bold. I don't answer to y'all. I answer to Jesus. Y'all don't answer to me. Y'all answer to Jesus. That's who we're supposed to be following. If you follow me, I will lead you into a ditch. I will, because I'm going to veer off. I'm going to get off the road sometimes. But if we all follow Jesus together, and we all trust the calling of God for leadership in the church, then we will. We will perform his perfect will. We will do what we're called to do. We will grow. We will see people come to Jesus, some come to saving knowledge of Jesus. We will see our city changed. We will see our country changed. And we will see, see the world changed because of a couple of hundred folks in a town of about twenty-five to 35,000 people in the southwest corner of Louisiana amongst the swamps and the factories and mosquitoes and the three days of winter 
And it will all be because why? We kept our eyes focused on the shepherd that we were supposed to keep our eyes focused on. We weren't focused on each other. We weren't arguing over trivialities. We were doing the big things for God that Jesus called us to do. There's something else about the exclusivity of the shepherd we need to hear this morning. There's only one who can save you. That's the exclusive shepherd. I'm called the under-shepherd in the Bible. I am not called the under-savior. I can't save a single one of you. Only Jesus can do that. And this morning, maybe you don't understand that. You've not experienced that salvation. You know, all of this, this other stuff may not mean, uh, you, you, okay, shepherd, got it, follow him. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. You're a sinner. All of you are. Because we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of those sins, that sin is death. We will die for our sins. We will all experience physical death, and that's one of the punishments. That's one of the repercussions. But after physical death, because of our sin, we will experience spiritual death. We will experience separation from God. Not annihilation, but an eternity separate from God in a Christless hell. That's the wages of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The shepherd comes and he calls. See, whether you're a part of the flock yet or not, Jesus knows you. And he's calling you. He's calling for you to be a part of his flock. Come, he says. John says throughout his gospel, believe. God proved he loved us. And that while we were rebellious, dumb, stupid sheep outside of the flock, sinful, Christ died for us. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be a part of the flock. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You may still be a dumb sheep, but you'll have the best shepherd shepherd that will lead, a shepherd that will guide, a shepherd that laid his life down for the sheep so you can experience that salvation. Will you do that this morning? Will you trust Jesus for your salvation? Will you follow the good shepherd today? Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I, I don't know why you called people like me to be a pastor. I don't know why you called any of us to do anything great for your glory. It just seems easier if you had created some sort of master race of automatons that just did whatever you told them to do and, and worked it that way. But Lord, you have called sinful, broken, struggling, dumb sheep to do your bidding, to do your will, to take your message. And Lord, I, I thank you that, not just me, you didn't just call me, but you have called every person in here this morning to do the same thing. You've called me to a different position, but you have called us all to the same responsibility, and that is to see the kingdom come and to be a part of bringing about that kingdom by sharing your word. Lord, I pray this morning that we would latch on to that. We would see our responsibility as sheep to the shepherd. We would see our call to witness, our call to be 
your people doing your work as you lead us to do it. God, do something great. Lord, we're going to be cast at times. We're going to wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But, but you are the great shepherd that brings us back. Brings us back into line. Leads us again. Does what's necessary to make us obedient. And I pray that you would do that in our lives. Lord, somebody here this morning does not know you as Savior. They've, they've walked an aisle, they've prayed a prayer, they put their name on a list, they may have even gotten dunked, but they are not your child because they have never trusted you. They went through some motions. Or maybe it's someone who's never fully comprehended the gospel message at all, didn't even know they needed it, but today they know, Lord, I pray that you would draw them this morning. They would trust you as Savior. They would follow you completely. They would be a part of your flock. Lord, move in this place this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? Are, are, you, a, are you a wandering sheep? Maybe you're like me and you're prone to wander too. Maybe you need to come back to the fold. Are you, are you worried about the, the wall? Has, has someone slipped in? Or are you worried maybe you're the one that's jumped the wall? What do you need to do this morning? As the flock of Jesus Christ, what will we decide this morning to be? Will we follow him? Will we listen for his voice and go where he leads? Or will we wander? Will we get distracted and be cast, fall, helpless? We all have a decision to make this morning. Maybe you need to follow Christ. Maybe you need to make some, sort of, some other commitment to him today.